Welcome to the latest word from the church at Severn Run. Our church is located in Severn, Maryland, and is easily accessible from anywhere in the D.C. Baltimore area. You can subscribe for regular updates or check in weekly for the latest information by using our website, severinrun.com. Thank you for visiting. And now, today's message. Hey, this morning we are continuing uh, something that, that God um, whispered in my ear uh, a year ago, August, uh, when he said, um, I want you to lead my people to listen to my voice. I want you to, to lead them to listen deeply so that they may live with a wide impact in this, this world. And the Lord, I believe, led us to, to go through the book of Matthew so that we would hear the story of Jesus in a fresh and a new way. And it is my challenge to you to be reading the book of Matthew, um, to hear again the story of Jesus and know from the story of Jesus the, the cue for your life, how to, to live. And so we have just finished up the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down, and, and evidently thousands of people um, left their normal religious teachers and sat down beside this strange um, new, you know, preacher and, and heard words that were unlike anything they'd ever heard before. And now as we begin Matthew 8, Jesus goes on the road. He leaves the mountainside and, and he begins to launch his ministry in a way that we need to pay attention to and, and follow for life. You see, guys, Jesus never made a disciple by leading anyone into a classroom. He never led anyone to sit down and do nothing, which is what the Western church is great at doing. Come, sit, go, repeat. Jesus had so much more in mind when he died on the cross. And the reality is Jesus led broken people who were close to him out on the road to demonstrate the power of God's love to broken people who were far from him. And in the story we're going to read, we see Jesus demonstrating the love of God through healing. And there are those whose whole ministry and emphasis is on physical healing. Um, must be kind of frustrating to watch those people die later. You know, I, again, when my family is sick, I do pray for them to be healed. I pray for my wife to be healed of, of, of her condition. But if she is, she'll still die. Jesus came to heal our, our life forever. And the, the connection that we are to make to Jesus on the road is not that we are to go and, and necessarily empty the hospitals, but that we are to go and demonstrate the love of God out on the road, out of our normal, comfortable, us-centered, consumeristic paths to, to be the message of Jesus in a broken world. And, and when you look at the scripture, um, you see just how, how kinetic, how, how active, how uh, on the road Jesus' life was. Uh, just in the few chapters that we've, we've covered uh, from 4 to 8, in 4.12, Jesus returned to Galilee. I want you to imagine Jesus walking. He didn't catch a bus, hop in a car. He hoofed it. Leaving Galilee, he went and lived in Capernaum. 4.18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he wasn't going out to, to catch the view. He was going out to run into people. Um, verse, chapter 4, verse 21, going on from there, he saw two brothers. Uh, 421 further, Jesus went throughout Galilee. 
Jesus was going out on the road through his world. In, in uh, 5.1, he went up on a mountainside and began to teach. He didn't go to a synagogue where it was safe and he would uh, meet with a bunch of religious people. He went out on the road into a broken world to share the healing message of, of God's love. In chapter 8, verse 1, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him as he was going. Um, in chapter 8, verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, Jesus is always moving, always going, always on the road revealing the love of the Father. You see, Jesus always went out of his way to, to find faith and to heal life. And hey, here's the thought. To be Jesus' followers, we must... Guys, I know it's the first fall day. I know it's kind of cool outside. In fact, we may light a fire today for the first time. But let's wake up, warm up here, all right? All right. So if we're going to be Jesus' followers who are not saved to sit, if we're going to be Jesus' followers, then we must go out and and follow him to the places that he would be going, wants to go, is going here and now. We have to follow him into a broken world. And remember, everything's broken and everything needs to be redeemed. This morning, I want us to imagine the road ahead. Um, because the truth is, um, we need to redeem our imagination. That is so critical for us to do today. We need to redeem our imagination. Next slide. Because the word redeem is, is, a, is a critical word. The word redeem uh, really has to do uh, with buying back. And in its original uh, context, uh, a person could be sold into slavery for a debt or, or some other offense. And there was this concept of the goel in Hebrew, the kinsman redeemer. And that is that whoever was closest to them, therefore most obligated, uh, by implication the person who would love the most, would be responsible for going and buying back this person's life from, from jail. Um, and, and so to redeem them, to restore them, to give them their life back. And so to redeem something means to turn it around. It means for God to touch it. It means for it to become right. It means for it to move from dark to light, broken to whole, from bad to good. Uh, so redeem is a great word that we need to, to be using in, in our, our conversations. Now, when I talk about the imagination, uh, some of us are going, oh, well, Christians and imagination, that's, that's secular stuff. Um, are you nuts? You know, imagination is God's stuff. We were created in the image of God. And a part of the power of, of our image is image a nation. It is the ability to see uh, in our mind, um, you know, possibilities and to act on those possibilities. But the simple truth is, and this is really, really key, and I, I, I'm telling you, if, if you and I will get what God is saying to us today, Everything changes from this day forward. Most of us here have surrendered our imaginations more to the work of hell than to the work of heaven. We have allowed our imaginations to be, to be just run by the destructive agenda of hell more than the redeeming uh, agenda of heaven. 
And our imaginations become the playground of, of all kinds of fearful, lightless, lustful, hopeless, and, and failure-filled futures. All because we do not have a mind filled with Christ. Any of y'all ever heard the phrase, you done lost your mind? Anybody here ever heard that? Anybody here ever been accused of that? I don't know, you know. Well, well, the truth is, um, in the fall of humanity, we did done lost our minds. Because we lived then with the mind of Christ. We lived in communion with God, connected and, and filled with, with the life of God in the presence of God. And when we chose independence, when we chose our way over God, when we chose uh, our imagination over, over the, the relationship with God, we lost our mind. And we've been crazy ever since. We really, really have. So today, I want you to drive a stake in the ground and to say, I am going to, to allow God to redeem my imagination so that what I think and what I imagine from this day forward will be reflecting the work of God, the heart of God, the hope of God, the life of God, instead of letting my mind and my imagination be the playground of hell. See, the truth is, the only way to live in fear of the future is to imagine a future where there is no Jesus. But when you imagine the future, which you and I do all the time, you know, it's just like when you write a letter. Um, you know, when you write a letter, whether it's by hand or typing, you're imagining an audience. You're imagining a recipient. And, and you're imagining um, what, what they're thinking. You're imagining what they uh, need to hear. You're imagining the condition of your relationship. You're imagining the best way to communicate. The imagination is the heart of, of our humanity. And we need to get it back. And to allow God to use our imaginations to accomplish his great work in, in life. So in, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, the scripture says that when God redeems us, we have the mind of Christ. We, we get our minds back. But, but listen to what the scripture says in Genesis 6.5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was totally evil. So here is the Lord God, and what is he doing? He's, he's searching the imaginations of humanity. Now, now that's a thought that'll blow your mind right there, <laughs> to, to think about God um, looking into what we imagine that is, that is, and, and seeing what is flowing from our heart. Um, in Isaiah 65 two, here's the heart of God saying, all day long, I've held out my hand to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their imaginations. And this is what we do all the time. You know, um, you and I pursue our imaginations all the time. It is how we live. And if we can redeem our imaginations, if we can buy them back from hell, 
If we can begin to see a future that is, that is God-full, a future that is hopeful, a future that is, that is touched by the hand of God, everything changes. <sighs> Fear goes. Peace comes. Um, our, the course of our action uh, is redirected. Um, I, I know of one uh, man who spent an inordinate amount of time on the internet looking at the stuff that you precisely know what he was looking at. And uh, in his imagination, um, uh, he left a, a wonderful family and uh, flew to England uh, to meet um, some picture on a screen that he had seen. And, and now his life was going to be complete. Not. Did that work out? Are you nuts? Of course it didn't work out. Because it was all the work of, of, of the imagination inspired by hell. And the truth is that, that we need to reclaim our God-given imaginations and to put them to work seeing and building the kingdom of God in our homes, uh, in our schools, in our communities, in our church. If we will reclaim our God-given imaginations and allow God to inspire them and, and allow God to, to help us to see uh, the future as it really is, everything changes from this point forward. So, so here's the deal. Um, you know, if, if I could ask you, uh, if you could change, you know, something, one thing from the past, most of us would be able fairly quickly to go back and find the one thing and change it. True? This means yes, this means no. You working with me? So, unfortunately, I can't do that for you. You know, I can't go back before that moment and, and rewind and have everything change. But I can do something better for you. Um, what I can do for you is tell you how to change everything in the future. And from this point forward, uh, I can tell you how everything, everything, everything becomes different. You see, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I want you to redeem your imagination, to turn it over to God, and to begin to allow God to work in it and recognize that, that when you have faith, something happens in your heart. It turns to God, and your imagination is no longer turning towards um, godless future, godless activity, you know, lifelessness. Now your imagination is turned towards God, and, and the future begins to align with reality. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I, I love that scripture. And I love how it says that, that, that this will be done according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So that the glory of God has two sources in the person of Christ and in us. And as Jesus went out on the road and revealed um, the, the love of the Father to the glory of God, that's what we've got to be doing in the days to come. So, so here's the deal. I want, there's, there's two things I want you to remember. It's kind of corny, but, uh, you know, we're going to do it anyway today, all right? I want you to, to, to uh, just hold up a hand. Okay, everybody hand. And then, and then I want you to, to hold up your arms. Okay? Hand arms hand <laughs> arms all right now here's why faith real faith 
Real faith imagines a future that is touched by God's hand. I mean, it is blessed by God's hand. It is, it is touched by God's hand in a way that redeems it, changes it, protects it, that blesses it and, and makes it more than it ever could be. The, the hand of God throughout the, the Old Testament is incredibly powerful. And the scripture says God stretched his hand out. And when he does that, everything changes. I mean, that's the, that's the whole um, image of the hand of God is, is power and change and, and the ability to make the impossible possible. Faith imagines a future that is touched not by, by the despair of hell overcome by death, uh, you know, a, a downward spiral in the drain due to sickness. No, no, faith imagines a future where the hand of God is fully at work, fully in play, fully in charge. And then faith runs straight into the arms of Jesus and believes in the willingness of, of the love of God to embrace us, to make this impossible future possible. So turn to your neighbor, make sure they get it. I don't want anybody to leave here without it. Make sure your neighbor understands that faith imagines a future touched by the hand of God and then faith just doesn't imagine, it acts, and it runs straight into the arms of Jesus. Just go ahead and tell them. Make, make sure they know. Everybody got that? All right, we're done. We'll see you later. Almost. Almost. I want to read for you Matthew uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. And I want you to, to share with you uh, two stories where the imagination changed everything. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, just finishing the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Let me, let me just stop right there. Leprosy was the most horrible disease in the ancient world. It is a terrible disease. Um, I read a book uh, by uh, Robert Gladys, um, and uh, um, he was one of the, the gentlemen who did um, the, one of the really foundational works uh, in India with, with this horrible disease. Leprosy is a bacteria that infects and begins to kill the nerves. And, and then um, you injure yourself and don't know it. And, and then parts of your body start to die and fall off. And, and it is just a terrible, disfiguring disease. And in the Old Testament, it not only made you socially unacceptable. I mean, honestly, I mean, if you have no nose, your marriage prospects probably drop a bit. Would you agree? But not only did you suffer the shame of being disfigured, you were spiritually and ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and could not even go to temple and could not even worship. You lived life in shame. You lived life alone. And to make it even worse, you were so socially isolated and alone that if you should have to go to town for something, which you would not do, but, but you would have to yell out at the top of your voice, unclean! unclean as, as you went and announced your unacceptable presence uh, in, in the village. 
And if you didn't do it loud enough, and if you let people get close, they responded by throwing rocks at you. Jesus went out on the road and he saw a man with leprosy. Around us, there are people that are unacceptable to us and we don't see them. As we talk about the need in our area um, that's right around us, that's 10 minutes away, um, as we talk about the need that is in, is in Baltimore City, we are one sitcom away from, from being able to go and invest in a way that changes worlds. So you, you and I can sit down and watch one 30-minute show, or we can get in our cars and drive someplace meaningful in Baltimore City and, and, and be Jesus. Wait, we need more TV. No, we don't. We don't. Jesus saw this leper, And instead of running from him as everybody, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, though the scripture does not say, I can guarantee you by all that we know of of religious Hebrew tradition that Jesus was pretty much alone at this point because everybody else had scattered. They were not going to be around this one guy. It was like, imagine, imagine somebody in here coughing and sneezing with the Ebola virus. You're probably not going to greet them this morning. Probably, (laughs) you know, you're probably going to be thinking of yourself and heading for the exit. And everybody else scatters and Jesus sees this man and he goes to him. The leper comes and kneels before Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. (laughs) Where did this come from? This leper imagined a better life. This leper imagined the, the love of God. This leper imagined a healed future. This leper imagined a life that was restored to worship. This le- leper dared to imagine the good heart of God. And he came and he knelt and he asked for what he needed. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I don't know what was happening in the heart of Jesus as he saw how, how sin and disease had broken his beloved creation. But he looks in this man's eyes and says, I am willing. Jesus reached out his hand, though, and did something that, that get this, would make him ceremonially unclean and unable to go to synagogue or worship or temple that week Uh, without an elaborate cleansing ritual. And he touched the man. Faith imagined a future that is touched by the hand of God. And this leper says, I believe that the touch of God's hand can do the impossible and heal my leprosy. And then he acted. He didn't just imagine. You have to do something after you imagine. He ran into the presence of Jesus. He didn't go uh, to the pool of Siloam and wait for an angel to disturb the water. He didn't go to temple and, and come up to one of the priests and ask them to pray for them. He ran into the arms of God that he recognized in the person of Jesus. And he basically said, Jesus, wrap me up in your love. I I cannot imagine what the other people were doing around him when Jesus touches a leper. I cannot, you and I cannot understand how crazy um, 
just like culturally offensive this would have been to everybody. And Jesus speaks the words, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the gift of Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Interestingly, in Leviticus 14, there's this beautiful ceremony um, about how a leper, if they are cured, is to, to be ritually uh, welcomed back into the worshiping community. And a part of it involves uh, two, two birds, uh, one of which is sacrificed. And, and, and here is his Jesus calling to mind to say, I want you to go now and I want you to see how the Father has tied together and foreshadowed the work that I have just done for you. Because in this, this sacrifice, one of the birds is, is sacrificed and, and his blood is actually sprinkled on the other, uh, the other bird. And then the other bird is set free. And by the blood of Christ shed for us, we are set free. Dear people, why do we live such peaceless lives? Why do we live so torn by the past? Why do we live so afraid of the future in such hatred for ourselves, um, waiting for, for, for the other shoe to drop? Why do we live in hell? when Jesus has come? Why do we live angry? Why, why do we not live bold and free and, and, and a, a greater life than, than, than we could ever imagine? And the only answer is because we've never imagined the touch of God. Today I'm here to tell you that Jesus is willing to touch your life in a new way that gives you peace and freedom forever. Today I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that if you have the faith to imagine a better life and if you are willing to run into his arms that Jesus Christ will touch your life, that he will put his hand on your face, Hallelujah. heal your fears. You don't have to worry about finances anymore. Got to be responsible, but you don't got to worry about finances anymore. You don't have to worry about being alone anymore. You don't have to worry whatever it is whatever that consuming fear is in your life, Jesus says, be healed. And we are. Jesus goes on from there because Jesus is always going out on the road. He never leads disciples into a classroom. He leads them out into a broken world so that broken people who are far from him can find faith, just like the broken people near to him. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Oh, here we go again. First of all, we've got a guy who's, who's uh, unacceptable by disease. Now we've got a guy who's the enemy. Uh, you and I cannot imagine what it was like to live in an occupied country. The closest, you know, maybe we can, we can imagine is, is you know, uh, I don't know, being French during World War II with the Nazis occupying your country. And the love that you would have for a German soldier as a French person would be about the same as the love that a Jew would have for a Roman occupying their country, crushing them with taxes, um, abusing them at will, you know, freedom gone. And yet this centurion, he comes to Jesus. This just wasn't done. And, and he asked Jesus for help. 
Somehow, some way, this centurion had imagined a future that was touched by God. He dared to believe and to imagine something in his heart that did not exist currently in reality. And to make this imagination a reality, he ran into the arms and presence of Jesus Christ. Faith always imagines a future that is touched by God, blessed by God, lifted and lighted by God. And then faith moves towards Christ and asks. And that's what the centurion does. He said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. I want you to see what the centurion saw. The centurion saw his servant suffering. The centurion saw pain and tears and and imminent death. He saw that with his eyes. But with his heart and with his imagination, he saw his servant. He imagined his servant up on his feet. He imagined his servant pain-free. He imagined his servant living their life full and free again. He imagined, he saw two realities and he chose to live with the reality, reality touched by God, not the reality um, that was, that was the, the broken world. I mean, that's, that's worth praising God for. Don't leave Lanny alone. <laughs> and, and, and he says, I will go and heal him. Because Jesus is always, always, always willing. His arms are open. And the centurion replied something that still blows my mind today. Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But you just say the word. Man, I want you to hear the God confidence that this man exudes. I would have liked to meet this guy. In fact, I'm looking forward to meeting this guy one day soon. Here's a man that I would, I would willingly follow. He's got that kind of confidence. I, I'm with him. I'd follow this guy into battle. I'd follow him into life. I'd want to learn from this guy because he has a confidence that is just unshakable. And, and we as the church ought to live with the same kind of God confidence as we face the future. So many churches live hopeless in hope deficits. So many churches live with so little confidence. Not us, not the church at Seven Run. Not because we're anything, but because we believe in the power of God. Amen? Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, where did he get this? This wasn't from some Old Testament scripture that he's quoting. This all came from his... Okay, kind of, kind of, kind of. This all came from his imagination. He imagined this reality, and he's just... He's just speaking this reality back to the word of life. For, and he's, then, he, then he explains where his imagination comes from. And here's how he imagined how God worked. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Oh my goodness. It was this man's imagination that astonished the heart of God. It was, it was uh, this man who was completely, um, you know, an outsider who got it more than any of the religious insiders. He was thinking outside of religious culture, religious norms, religious culture would have said, hey, go to the temple and pray. But he imagined more. 
You and I can stay in our cultural norms and we can just do what churchy people do. Oh, let's come and pretend on Sunday mornings. Let's not have real relationships with each other. Let's just come and sit and never expect to do anything greater in life. Hey, let's just come and we'll tip God, but we're not going to trust him uh, to, to bless everything, believing all of life belongs to God. I'm just going to come and use God as kind of my genie in the bottle to advance my career. The one I've imagined will be best for me. God says, no, I have created you and imagined you before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. So do you understand that before you were ever born, God imagined you? He gifted you. You are God-gifted. There is no excuse for, for any of us not being world changers, for any of us not being used to demonstrate the love of God in a broken world. He gifted you, and then he imagined how he would use you um, to, to reveal his love to the world. And now all you and I have to do is allow our imaginations to catch up with his, to operate from his abilities and not ours. To, to allow his possibilities to define the future and, and not our, our current realities. I've not found faith like this in, in anyone in Israel. And then he goes on to say something that would have been so offensive to every rabbi, every Pharisee, Sadducee, um, every God-fear around. He says, I say that many will come from the east and the west and take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom who should have gotten it the subjects of the people, my people, my, my church, I think Jesus would say, that should have understood and believed and, and acted on my words, many of these people will be thrown outside into the darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, and I love this, I love this, I love this, go and it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Guys, why do we refuse to see the power of God's hand and the willingness of God's love in our futures? Faith. Uh, faith is not primarily about static doctrines that, that we believe, uh, you know, these, these things. I'm a Calvinist. I'm a thisist. I'm a thatist. Whateverist. That's not faith. Those are, those are static ideas, dead ideas often. Real faith is about imagining a future where the, the hand of God is guiding and leading and touching. And I'm just telling you, whatever God's hand touches uh, is redeemed. It's bought back. It's better. And when we imagine a future touched by the hand of God, then all we have to do is run into the arms of Jesus and let Jesus wrap us up and love us well. Guys, that's what real faith is. And today I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to reclaim your imagination. Uh, it isn't the playground for pornography. Uh, it isn't, it isn't the, the ground for fear to do its work. It isn't the ground for, for us to fantasize about revenge and getting back at other people, getting even, which is stupid crazy. Our imagination is a part of our creation that ought to be redeemed. That's why I'm telling you that a church of 200 and something people imagined 
uh, a, a church of 3,000 people. They did. This wasn't my doing. This was a church before I came. This little Baptist church on four acres of land imagined having a greater impact for the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't a reality. It was an imagination. Again, when I came, um, I think our first budget was like 184000 bucks. Uh, and they're talking about an eight to ten million dollar project. That's imagination. <laughs> I'm serious, and it's also impossible. So sign me up, guys. What I want to tell you, for you as an individual, and for you as a husband, and you as a wife, and and you, um, you know, you as a leader, is that what we dare to imagine determines our future. I know of one pastor right now whose heart is captured um, by a woman, not his wife. And he seems to spend most of his time, you know, imagining uh, life near this woman. Okay, you done lost your mind. And, and I can already tell you where your future's headed. Um, it's just like watching in slow motion uh, one of those cars drive off uh, one of the, you know, the, uh, the highways where there's no bridge. Okay, you know, if this is, if this is what you want to spend your, your life stubbornly imagining, I can tell you where that's going to go. But it doesn't have to. You and I can surrender our imaginations to the, to the God of creation and allow him to redeem them and to begin to live, Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with men is possible with God. What if? The church at Seven Run became a faith-filled community of 5,000 people who followed Jesus out into a broken world. We're not talking about saved to sit. We're talking about on the move with Jesus. How many hurting families would be made whole? How many of us would finally start growing because we're using our giftedness? How many lost people could be forever, forever saved? How many... How many communities would, would finally notice Jesus because we finally showed up to start doing his work? Reclaim your imagination. Let the power of God's hand guide and fill your future and run to Jesus, run to Jesus, run hard to Jesus. I want you to do your homework that's right here in, in your, uh, your folder. What fills your imagination? Who fills your imagination? What does a future filled with Jesus look like to you? I mean, seriously, really, think about it. What does a future absolutely filled with Jesus look like to you? And save people, they serve people. Before you were born, God imagined you making an eternal difference in this world. How might you begin to live that difference? And how and where would you serve to demonstrate the redeeming love of a life-changing God. Today, I'm not necessarily gonna ask you to come forward. I am sometimes, not today. What I'm gonna ask you to do today is to surrender your imagination to the God who imagined so much more for you. Thank you for joining us today at the Church at Severn Run. Please visit our website at severnrun.com for church service information, staff directories, or for prayer requests. And if you're in the D.C. Baltimore area, we'd love to have you join us at 8187 Telegraph Road in Severn, Maryland.
We look forward to worshiping with you.